0: What he's saying is expressive individualism, my ability to be and do what I feel inside I want to be and do, you inhibiting me from that,
1: you limiting my will to power, that's sin. Because sin comes up against holiness and it is holy for me
0: to fully express myself and be included while doing so. That is the left-leaning gospel. And so it becomes just another gospel to
2: manage sins. Welcome to the Belfast Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Beiler, and this is going to be episode two of our two-part series, at least explicitly on chapter two, Gospels of Sin Management in The Divine Conspiracy. We're going to have a couple more episodes after this talking about some specific ideas that branch off from here that I think are utterly important, one of those being the doctrine of progress. So keep an eye out for that. As I've said, it's been a uh, a very busy time for me. That's why I haven't been getting these episodes out, but I am trying to edit them in uh, clumps. So hopefully a few of these will be coming out at least in succession to uh, get the momentum back. But hopefully you guys haven't lost the thread. We've been talking about morals detached from our lives, how we can moralize about things and not do them, but know them in our heads, right? And not enact them. And now we're going to talk about chapter two, Gospels of Sin Management. Well, Willard, talks about the policing of action or intention as the only function of the gospel or the policing of the internal state status of the soul that would be the right the right gospel R right as in r a g h t right side versus left side not right as in correct anyway so there is that uh I will be finishing up school in the next week or so and moving after that. So hopefully I will have some time to sit down and do more of this. And then the trip happens at the end of June. So uh, get ready for that. If you want to donate, the page is still open. It will be in the description there. As always, thank you guys very much for listening. We'll see you in the next one. We're talking yeah. about the different sides now, giving some examples of how the right and the left make exclusionary their claims on the gospel, or exclusive their claims on the gospel. So we're going to give some examples from the right first and then the left, so go ahead.
0: Yeah, so this is a block quote that Willard gives a, from Charles Ryrie, uh, I think I'm saying his name properly, I'm not, I'm not sure, um, who says, Some of the confusion regarding the meaning of the gospel today may arise from failing to clarify the issue involved. The issue is, how can my sins be forgiven? What is it that bars me from heaven? What is it that prevents me from having eternal life? The answer is sin. Therefore, I need some way to resolve that problem. And God declares the death of his son provides forgiveness of my sin. Through faith, I receive him and his forgiveness. Then sin, uh, then the sin problem is solved and I can
1: be fully assured of going to heaven. Let me read this. um... I
2: think you need to read that again. Yeah. Some of the confusion okay, as as Daniel reads this, as I said before, keep in mind the things that you have heard when the gospel is presented in church, or you are told to go evangelize
1: other people. Go ahead some of the confusion regarding the meaning of the gospel
0: today may arise from failing to clarify the issue involved. The issue is, how can my sin be forgiven? What is it that bars me from heaven? What is it that prevents me from having eternal life? The answer is sin. Gospels of sin management. Therefore, I need some way to resolve that problem, to manage my sin. And God declares that the death of his son is that answer, provides forgiveness for my, or of my sin. Through faith, I receive him and his forgiveness. Then the sin problem is solved, and I can be fully assured of going to heaven.
2: So the problem is sin. What resolves that is Jesus' death. It forgives my sin. Therefore, this last sentence, then the sin problem is solved, and I can be fully assured of going to heaven. Let me go back. To the right, being a Christian is a matter of having your sins forgiven. Remember the bumper sticker. What is the problem? The problem is sin. To the left, you're a Christian if you have a significant commitment to the elimination of social evils. A Christian is either one who is ready to die and face the judgment of God, Then the sin problem is solved, and I can be fully assured of going to heaven. What does that sound like? One who is ready to die and face the judgment of God. Because what matters in the gospel is the forgiveness of my individual sins.
1: So, um, unless you
0: have anything else to add, I'm going to read mm-hmm. a, a section from, and I'll just
1: go ahead and share my screen. Is that coming through okay? Mm-hmm. This is Romans 10 1
0: through 15, um, NRSV. Brothers and sisters, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved, for I can testify that they have a zeal for God, but it is not based on knowledge. Not knowing the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they have not submitted to God's righteousness, for Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Do what?
2: Never mind, keep going.
0: But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart, leading to righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, leading to salvation. Scripture says, No one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news.
1: This is a typical passage that I think gets referred to in
0: talking about the typical right-leaning gospel and evangelizing. And the conversion experience. You don't need to do the law. You need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is
1: Lord and believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead and you will be saved. And that's it. That's it.
0: All the while, we forget that this takes place in the book of Romans in which Paul is primarily arguing for the obedience of faith. He says that I believe in chapter one and chapter 14,
1: I think. It's two times in the book. And so these members of the right-leaning gospel, they
0: it's not as though they're pulling this out of nowhere.
2: Mm-hmm. Let me read. I'm gonna read one more really short passage. Okay. Just the beginning of Romans eight. Therefore. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. In us. M- might be fully met in us who do what? Who do not live according to the flesh, but live according to the Spirit. It's but, funny this, to even... but this whole talk of Christ doing what the law couldn't do, God sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh so that you might live... In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. And then that last phrase, you know, the right wing, they got blinders on, who live according to the flesh, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, I think that would be taken a lot as, you know, the dutiful, you be a good Christian because of these things, right?
1: But I think as
2: i i'm I'm really and I'm honestly as we're discussing this trying to 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 distinguish between these two and if it's worth distinguishing because I think as I said earlier, the call to action for those on the right who say that the individual sin forgiveness is what's important will make a list of moral demands out of duty because of what god has done and tell me if you think this is right so they'll make a list of duty because of what god has done not because christ invites us to a different kind of life
0: yeah no i think that's totally correct does that make sense
2: yes well it's it's because that different kind of life involves what systems do you Participate and not participate in? Do you care about the dispossessed and the poor? Are you taking care of the orphan and the widow? You know, how do you resolve conflict within your church? Um, All the like Willard will say it for us later, but like they discount Jesus's teacher because of how those in the main line have used that to then cut off the forgiveness of sins as essential.
0: Yeah. Well, so they, we have the blinders on, but we still emphasize moral requirements. Exa- well, that's what I'm funny. trying to
2: differentiate yeah. here.
0: Well, and what's super funny is I sat in a class with a very left-leaning professor talking about how right-leaning Christians are Pharisees because we set up these um, totems of ritual purity. And that's something that we'll get into later. But we, we set up these paradigms of ritual purity that we then have to meet in order to be involved in. It's like additions to the gospel, which is super funny because we're so tightly constrained about not adding to the gospel. Even so though we have got the gospel church. Yeah. And How many so-
2: of your churches that you've ever been to have said that and said that they're going to be the One that is, well, dude, I went to the one down the street and they said the same thing, but you say it differently, but you're both gospel centered. Yeah. Again, this is why we're doing this. If you ever sat in church and you thought, what is going on here? I hear that phrase said all the time in church, but then it's like different things are said. Well, yeah. What is the gospel? And is what you heard from that church, not to just demoralize and demean, but seriously, was what you heard a gospel of sin management? Either way. Was it all about you becoming morally, ritually pure? Getting your internals right, so then you can act accordingly because of the debt that you could never repay. But somehow we act like we're repaying it. Or was it all about how you are going to minimize your participation in structural evil? Well, Standard. and
0: and how do how does the right leaning? This is something that I haven't fully explored. But how does the right leaning church and? I, justify this idea of okay it's the forgiveness of sins and i really think it comes down to like we still have to deal with behavior some way right yeah um even though it's in no way our justification is not by our works, works.
2: which this is, 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 is funny this is why i push on the works people all the time because i'm like but you make a moral standard
0: yeah yeah well and and that's one of the reasons why i wrote that justification paper right is because i was trying to deal with the tension between works and faith and as i said then I think genuine faith is trust demonstrated in action, meaning that you're not aiming at the action, right? You're aiming at the the person that you trust in, but that trust manifests itself
1: in something that you do or something even better that you are. And that's the different differentiation. Because if you are different, you behave differently. That I think is the biggest point. And that I think is what the right-leaning gospel
0: struggles with. It still wants to hold a moral standard and it sets up these ritually pure classification boxes that you have to check. But it at the same time. Wants to divorce all essences of the gospel from this life and purely look at an eschatological kingdom to come.
2: If you want some, and I don't mean to like cut this short if you have more to say, but yeah. for those who want some, and I'll link it in the in the description of these episodes I do on on in this little series on chapter two. For those who want more of a dive into this seemingly, the way we phrased it in that episode with Alex was, why do Jesus and Paul preach different Gospels? Well, they don't, was the answer. But if you want, we we played with that dichotomy a little bit, so I'm going to link, I put it in two parts, so I'll put both of those (coughs) down below. I say that because we mainly focused on how this, my internal personal sin forgiveness isn't the full picture.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good. Unless you have anything more to say about the right-leaning gospel, I'm going to switch to the left.
2: No, go ahead.
0: Okay. So this would be page 60 um, under the heading, religion becomes social ethics. um, Almost at the bottom of the page. However, For many in the liberal church, clergy and layperson alike, that language was not just a substitute for religious belief. The language he's talking about is um, the rhetoric of the civil rights movement and similar movements that um, were fighting for just treatment under the law. So it was not just a substitute for religious belief. It became their faith. Or perhaps we should say that their religious belief became commitment to civil rights in some broadened sense, including more recently, a right not even to have offensive symbolism or language used in your presence. To be committed to the oppressed, to liberation, or just to community, became for many the whole of what is essential to Christian commitment. The gospel or good news, in um, on this view, was that God Himself stood behind liberation, equality, and community. That Jesus died to promote them, or at least for lack of them, and He lives on in all efforts and. Tendencies favoring them. For the theological left, simply this became the message of Christ. Order, uh, the older liberal theology, which indeed was still primary, primarily a theology or view of God, died and was resurrected in the form of a social ethic that one could share with people who had no reliance on a present God or a living Christ at all, Oof. that burns.
2: Re- read fact, that. Read let that
0: me. Um, yeah, because I, I want to break down a few statements that I've read. So I'm, before I finish, Let's I'm going to back, back up a second.
2: Sorry, before you read that, I'm just reminded of something Alex and I kept saying. One of Alex's refrains was, you know, to the... To the... This is something we'll get to when we read right. to the right people would say oh man i'm sure glad that jesus lived so he could die for my sins and the left would say you know man it's too bad that jesus had to die he was on he was up to such a good start you missed it yep you missed it yep. so he was it's too bad he died. He was up to such a good start. So read, read that, I think, that paragraph again.
0: And I'm going to break down a few movements of this paragraph. Um, in fact, I might even back up a little bit. So, to be committed to the oppressed, to liberation, or just to community, became for many the whole of what is essential to Christian commitment. The good news, the gospel, or good news on this view, was that God himself stood behind liberation, equality, and community. That Jesus died to promote them. He was off to
2: such a good start. Yep, off to such a
0: good start. Why do you have to go and die?
2: Or at least
0: for lack of them. And that he lives on in all efforts and tendencies favoring them. His resurrection is us working out liberation. I would like to point out here the Exodus is a story of liberation
2: and how we talk about central, salvation
0: and it's how we talk about salvation and it is central to the Jewish identity as a people saved from oppression, from oppression. that is important that is foundational to the biblical narrative that is a consequence Of the gospel, not the gospel itself, just like an eschatological feature.
2: Just like God choosing Israel happened before the Exodus. Mm -hmm. And they were exiled before and promised the promised land before they ever got there. the exodus is proclaimed to abraham with the animals and the fire that his people will live in exile in a land that is not their own so yes it is in christ this is we might have to add another book to the list but it's a it's a question i've raised before on this podcast and in, in some of my classes it's a question worth asking Jesus could have picked any holiday or festival to enact his, well, death and resurrection. Which one does he pick? Passover.
1: Why? Liberation.
2: Liberation. But what then the question is, what kind of liberation?
1: What is he defeating? If my kingdom were of this world, they would have already revolted. That's what he says to Pilate.
2: If I were purely a human insurrection... Then I'd look just like Barabbas. It is customary for me to release a prisoner to you on this day. So, who do you want? Barabbas, the insurrectionist, the political revolutionary, or Jesus, king of the Jews?
1: We want Barabbas. What do you want me to do with Jesus? Crucify him. It's a shame he had to die. We're off to such a good start.
0: This is the next point I wanted to make. The older liberal theology which indeed was still primarily a theology or a view of god died and was resurrected in the form of a social ethic that could share that one could share with people who had no reliance on the presence of god or a living christ at all there's no this is not to say that a social ethic
1: or that the fight for civil rights is in any way wrong. They're very good things. But again, are we
0: confusing the consequences of the gospel with the gospel itself? And as Willard points out, you can totally have a social ethic and not have a theology.
2: Well, you think you can. Well,
0: you can in a post-Christian culture, to go back to our discussions previously.
2: And I would even argue, to, to make even a more flamboyant statement than what I made last week, I don't know if Nietzsche could, if someone like a Nietzsche could ever write, God is dead and we killed him, in a culture that has never gone through any kind of theology. Or or theology, then secularization. Yeah. I don't think you can find any primitive or pre-Christian or underdeveloped, for lack of a better term, which we'll get into why we even say that later. Worlds which that would be even an argument. This is part of Lewis's argument in the beginning of The Problem of Pain, is the numinous. That sense of awe that encapsulates all of us. And then the sense of, this is part of his moral, moral law argument, and then the sense of Distance we feel when we act in ways that are incongruent.
1: So go ahead. So the last statement, and this I think is just so telling, and it's going to lead into
0: uh, the next quote I'll read, which is substantially shorter. Total inclusivism of all beliefs and practices expressed um, except oppressive ones such as exclusivism of traditional Christianity itself was the natural next step. I'll read it one more time. Total inclusivism of all beliefs and practices except oppressive ones, such as the exclusivism. Wow. Exclusivism of the traditional Christianity itself was the natural next step. What he's saying is traditional Christianity has an exclusive tendency, right? There are Christians and there are non-Christians. And Jesus himself talks about how to handle the difference, right? If your brother is sinning, go to him and confront him. If he will not repent, go bring one or two more. If he still will not repent, I think this kind of transitions into Paul, go to church leadership. If he still will not repent, let him be to you a tax collector and a sinner. Interesting thing about that. How did Jesus treat tax collectors and sinners? He was willing to bring them in if they would do what he said to the adulterous woman, go and sin no more, right? There is a standard that he has. He expected something from them. It wasn't just... Exclusive, um inclusivism for the sake of inclusivism.
2: Yeah, you still have to follow a standard.
1: You still have to follow a standard.
2: And even those who scream inclusivism at all costs follow a standard. A standard.
0: Yeah, they have a standard. And their standard is don't tell me what I can and can't do, what I can and can't what, want, and what I can and cannot be right? So the exclusivism, exclusivism, I don't know why that's so hard for me to say today. The exclusivism that came with traditional Christianity is seen as a pluralistic heresy, to use the term that we were using last time. It becomes pluralistic heresy. So on um, skipping a page or no, two pages to page 63, the natural, he discusses the natural outcome. Desire becomes sacred, And whatever thwarts desire is evil or sin. We have from the Christian left, after all, just another gospel of sin management. Just one whose substance is provided by Western society and political ideals of human existence in a secular world. What he's saying is expressive individualism, my ability to be and do what I feel inside I want to be and do, you inhibiting me from that,
1: you limiting my will to power, that's sin. Because sin comes up against holiness and it is
0: holy for me to fully express myself and be included while doing so. That is the left-leaning gospel. And so it becomes just another gospel to manage sins. The sins of not oppression. tolerating the sins expression of, oppression. of in- yeah, sins of, sins of oppression. So not tolerating in the extreme, not
1: tolerating the inclusion of expressive individualism. That's what they're talking about.
2: I want to read, I read this last week, but I'm going to read part of it again. This is Newbegin at the end of his chapter on the roots of pluralism. If, if what matters about religious belief is not the factual truth of what they affirm, but the sincerity with which they are held, if religious belief is a matter of personal inward experience rather than an account of what is objectively the case, then there are certainly no grounds for thinking that Christians have any right, much less any duty to seek the conversion of their neighbors to the Christian faith. To try to do so is arrogance because it's not inclusive. Since the, Interreligious religious issue is usually compounded by the interracial issue. Since we're aware of, ra- of the racism which infects us so deeply, there are the strongest emotional reasons for regarding religious pluralism as something to be accepted and welcomed. The Christian faith may be true for us. It is not necessarily true for everyone to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, and to worship in him in the language that we use in the church is quite proper as an expression of our devotion, but this does not entitle us to make the same claim outside the context of the life and worship of the church. Our cradle statements are not to be understood as statements of objective truth, that is to, stay, is to say, statements of what is the case, and therefore what everyone in the end has to deal with. Just read the Nicene Creed. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, our Lord and Savior. Others, with equal sincerity, look to other names as the recipients of their devotion. We have no right to affirm in such a society that there is no other name given under heaven whereby we are to be saved. Here, pluralism reigns What matters is not the factual content of faith claims, but the sincerity with which they are held. They are matters not of public knowledge, but of personal faith. Knowing is one thing, and the schools are there to see that everyone knows what we all need to know about the real facts. Believing is something else, that is. It is a personal matter for each individual. Each of us should have a personal faith of our own, and damned be you if you get in the way of my personal faith and expression. That's what is said in pluralistic societies. That is the fight for inclusivism at all costs.
0: And that's what's said to pluralistic heresy, like traditional Christianity, when it stands in the way of inclusivism.
2: And Newbegin's point is, In a pluralist society like this, you can't have a standardized, let's say, traditional Christianity, because it is inherently exclusive. It is heresy. Yeah.
0: So, just like we pulled a left-leaning or a right-leaning example from the Bible... I'm going to pull a left leaning example. Um, This is actually something that I've used when talking about um, in arguments or debates when talking with other people about the need for action on the part of a Christian Mm -hmm. when it comes to genuine faith. So, this is Matthew 25, 31 through 46, Jesus' teaching. When the Son of Man comes read, in His glory,
2: sorry, read the heading:
0: the judgment of the nations.
2: That was for you, Jason. <laughs> All right, go ahead.
0: Well, I, I think I'm glad you pointed that out. The heading implies more of a um, what would you say? Co- collective mm-hmm. um, soteriology salvation of the the collective, the community, as opposed to individualistic. Uh, So it's kind of, I guess, fitting that I pulled this and I didn't even realize that heading was there.
2: I think I have a way to bridge that gap, by the way. What? We spoke about this. We spoke about this months ago on the phone, just privately. And I, we can talk about it when we talk about Heiser, but I think I have a way to at least explain a that the the, resur- the cross and the resurrection and then the Apostolic Church is a is inherently a dismantling of nationalistic or group-associated salvation. What did we read last week? It's neither Jew nor Greek, uh-huh. slave nor free, male or female. But all are one in Christ Jesus. All the categories you use to oppress or or are oppressed by or oppressed in or divide yourselves by doesn't matter anymore. And then with Heiser's imputations, I think that you have a purely, not purely, but you have a highly nationalistic, quite literally, um, view of um, uh, spiritual warfare. Yeah. I think it's on purpose. Yeah. But if, and here's another thing, if And I wrote a whole paper on this. Maybe we'll use it. If Pentecost is the reversal of Babel, and Babel is the disbursement of all the nations, and then God rising up Israel as his nation, and Pentecost reverses that, when they all speak in tongues of all the nations that are there, and what did we read the other week? All nations, all tongues, all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This, does, this means that your, na- your nationality, your language, your tongue, your heritage are still of importance in Jesus. As Lewis talks about, you don't just carbon copy to whoever. You retain individuality, but you look like Christ. And so, sorry, this is a long way to say, I think, and I can make it in more detail later, but I do. Th- if if Pentecost is truly reversing Babel, and Babel is the disbursement of the nations and God picking his own nation, and then you see, what is the whole fight in Acts? Who's in and by what standard? Is it just the Jews, or is, are also the Greeks invited?
1: No sign will be given
2: to this generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And many will come to dine from the East and the West. What is that? That is a non-nationalistic or group-associated salvific enterprise. That's what that is.
1: Yeah.
2: So uh, anything that proclaims I mean, why is Paul fighting the Judaizers? Anything that proclaims salvation by allegiance to something other than Jesus.
1: I think is a false gospel. Yep. No, I agree. So... <clears throat> a parable,
0: and a parable that exemplifies the truth hidden in the left-leaning
1: perspective, the gospel of social, um, social epic. we'll say.
0: When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep at his right hand come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for i am hungry for i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them. And the king will answer them because he is king. And there's our little sprinkle of some real gospel. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. And then he will say to those at his left hand who are accused, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. And I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. And I was a stranger and you did not welcome me in. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, Now, I've cited this passage before, trying to support the idea
1: that we have to do something. Trust demonstrated by action.
0: But I think that demonstration of action doesn't come because we are forcefully compelled or obligated to do something. It
1: needs to come from who we are our being, our transformation. Now, the left side of the gospel would look at this and say, see, that's it right there. Social ethic. That's what the gospel is proclaiming." And yes, obviously,
0: that is a consequence of the gospel. Without it, I think we
1: are in trouble, but Jesus is still king in this parable, and that I think is paramount. Luke, do you have anything to add?
2: Um. No, not really. Okay. I have some other stuff I could read, but I I think we've made the point.
1: Okay. So.
2: Uh, I'll, I'll, let me just say this. Yeah. I'll I'll say one thing, and it's what I've said, for both sides. It's like, it's like only having part of the story, but claiming that it's the whole story. Do you, uh, uh, what do we, sorry, let me look at the outline here. Um, Do you want me to? I think I read this to you the other day. I'll read it, and then I can cut it. Oh, God. Uh, I'll read it, and then we can cut it if we don't like it. Um, I'll read this. So again from Noob again. It says chapter on, so he has these movements. He talks, what I've read, some of what I've, what I will read later in the podcast has to do with his conceptions of history, history having a point, and then history having a endpoint. point. Um, history having meaning, meaning that history has an endpoint. How do we read that in light of being a Christian? And then he goes on to proclaiming the gospel itself. And then this is about... Uh, well, this chapter before this is called Mission, Word, Deed, and New Beginning. That was really good. This chapter is called Contextualization. So how much, and his question he's ultimately begging is, how much contextualization do you need to have the gospel in a, in a given culture? He says, I began this chapter by saying that the question of contextualization is the question of how the gospel comes alive in particular context. The history of the church and missionary experience certainly shows that this coming alive happens in a myriad of different and unpredictable ways. Nevertheless, the gospel is not an empty form into which everyone is free to pour his or her own context. Scripture has been, w- has been wittily said is not a picnic where the authors bring the words and the readers bring the meaning. So see here. The context of the gospel is Jesus Christ and the fullness of his ministry, death, and resurrection. The gospel is this and not anything else. News. Jesus is who he is, and through our perceptions, and though our perceptions of him will be shaped by our own situations and the mental formations we have received from our culture, our need is to see him as he truly is. This is why we have to listen to the witness of the whole church of all places and ages. His word of judgment and grace comes to each person in unique and often mysterious ways. The evangelist may believe that he has so well understood the human situation, for example, as one of oppression, that he knows how to present the gospel, for instance, as liberation. But there are two reasons for questioning this approach. The first is that and. I should add, why Daniel and I seem to be harping on this is because this is not only the left religious Christian gospel, this has become the left-leaning social-political gospel. But there are two reasons for questioning this approach. The first is that, however, however valid may be my understanding of the situation of those whom I command the gospel, my knowledge is limited. The situation may look quite different to my hearer. It happens over and over again that the gospel comes alive in a way that the evangelist had never dreamed of and has effects which he never anticipated. The gospel is addressed to the human person as a human person in all the uncountable varieties of predicaments in which human beings find themselves. The gospel has a sovereignty of its own and is never an instrument in the hands of the evangelist. Or, to put it more truly, the Holy Spirit, by whose secret working alone the gospel comes alive, is not under the evangelist's control. The wind blows freely. The second reason for questioning the issue-oriented approach to the preaching of the gospel is this. If one begins by defining the situation, for example, as one of oppression or one of individual forgiveness— and then offering the Christian message as an answer to the problem. Dying and being ready to face the judgment of God or being wholly committed to the elimination of social evils. If one begins by defining the situation, for example, as one of oppression, and then by offering the Christian message as an exam- as an answer to the problem, the gospel becomes ancillary to a program. One is in danger of a new kind of moralism, being a Christian is identified with commitment to a particular line, but when the gospel truly comes alive, the one for whom it, this happens knows that sovereignty now lies elsewhere. A new Lord is in control. That sovereignty will issue in a new range of actions and in a whole style of life, but these will have about them a spontaneity and a capacity to surprise, probably to surprise even the evangelist.
0: I mean, it just goes to show you the the point that both of these sides empty some kind of truth outside the person.
1: They, They empty that out of the gospel itself and impose upon it
0: aspects of the gospel or aspects of what the gospel does in the world consequences of the gospel. Excuse me. Now, um, are you, do you have anything that you want to add before? Okay. So moving on to the next major point that I want to make is as Luke just pointed out, we were divided and we've been harping on both sides, um, though it may appear one side more than the other. Although I think if it does, that's because one side definitely has the cultural upper hand at the moment.
1: Not just, uh,
2: not just in the
0: church. Yeah, and, and not just in the church, but more broadly speaking. And something that the, uh, the guys from this cultural moment talked about is something very interesting the those are, you,
2: are we going to listen to this later?
0: No this is something that I, I don't think it included um, but I think this is in episode three so if you're curious about this you can go listen to to that but um, of season one but they talk about how people who call for censorship the call for censorship comes when you assume you have the power to determine who's being censored or not and it's very ironic that those of left leaning, both religious and political
2: realms, those who are, for, are liberal, are for liberty, liberty and liberation, freedom of expression,
0: freedom of expression and for liberation, they have very long felt as though they were the underdogs in the political fight. Because you can't be the prophet, the the one standing on the margin critiquing the system, and simultaneously be in control of the system. But a call for suppression of speech implies that you believe that people who agree with you have the power to
1: suppress speech. Which implies... You have the power. you You have the power. The reason I think that's interesting um,
0: is because they still like to posture as though their opinions are the opinions of the margin. When population wise, that might be true. But if you take the temperature of the culture right now, it's flashing red with. Either the religiously left-leaning gospel or the politically left-leaning gospel. Both of those things are true, and we've discussed
1: consequence. That's a, some of this is a consequence of the actual gospel, and it's a good thing.
0: But we we're now such in this very deep um, moment of division. And this this will be my segue that I think it is very appropriate to address this moment that exists because the side that typically thinks it's the underdog is now
1: not. And the side that's traditionally thought of as being not the underdog is. And this cultural flip has developed very very
0: deep division, we are polarized. And so I want just to take a second and address this idea of division. Towards the end of um, Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of John, in one of his teachings, uh, John 13, he talks to his disciples about how they are to treat each other. And he says, um, 1335, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples,
1: if you have love for one another. I don't think we're doing that well right now. And I don't think that that's a statement that we should be able to disagree on. I, in my
0: class, uh, preaching of the early church that I took this past semester, we had to do an oration recitation. So we had to read a sermon from an early church preacher and preach that sermon or preach part of it. And I chose something that was, it was a passage from a sermon by Gregory of Nazianzus that he preached at the moment where two churches who had a very deep divide and a church that he considered to be one of great importance to him personally, because I believe it's where his father was a pastor. Um, He had some familial relationship with this church. He preached this sermon at the moment of the reunification of both sides of this divide. And as you'll see, I think, These words understood in that context can have some very real power. Because he doesn't talk about some false unity. He's not talking about slapping a band-aid on real fundamental disagreements. He's talking about something else. So he starts, I would have the body of Christ be one together, united as a whole in peace but let no one imagine that I mean all peace is desirable. Two sentences in, but I'll take a quick pause.
1: All peace, not all peace is desirable. That seems like an interesting statement. Peace being a fruit
0: of the spirit, you would assume that that would be something that's, that's good. But what he's about to get into is that there can be peace for false reasons, and that isn't really true peace. So he continues, I am equally aware of a beneficial kind of strife, as well as a harmful type of
1: harmony. So he's saying, strife can sometimes be good and harmony can
0: sometimes be bad. Why? But I have in mind, but what I have in mind is the noble sort of unity undertaken for a noble purpose and linking us as a community to God. If a distinction between these bad forms of unity is in order, here is briefly what I think. It is not good to be either too compliant or too contentious with the result that someone is either so uncritical that they accommodate everyone or so volatile that they cut themselves off from everyone. And I think now of all the times that Peterson is exploring aspects of personality and telling us that we need to be people capable of standing up for ourselves and others, but also people willing to sacrifice in order to help other people.
1: Because you can You can just let people run over you. And at some point that's gonna build up to the
0: point where you can't handle it anymore or where you're being abused or others are
1: being abused. But you can also bulldoze people. So we need to strike a balance. So Gregory continues. Lack
0: of distinction is just as unproductive as unfaithfulness is socially irresponsible. What he means by that is not differentiating between the good and bad kind of unity is just as socially destructive as being unfaithful to your community. Betraying them. You in not standing up for yourself and others, And you, in not
1: accommodating other people, is just as bad as being a betrayer. So you have to be
0: authentically yourself. But that means you live in the tension between these two extremes
1: of being accommodating or being volatile and assertive.
0: that's what living in community looks like. And that's what I think a lot of the letters of Paul are trying to hash out, not necessarily what is the gospel,
1: but how do we take the gospel and apply it to community? So he continues, but whatever
0: unholy acts are seen, we must turn and grapple with fire, sword, unfavorable circumstance, authorities and everything else instead of participating in the evil mayhem. So he's saying we have to fight against disunity and against harmful practices. We can't just not take a stand. I mean, this is going back to the thing I was talking about earlier, where Jesus says not all behavior is allowed. Right? You can be cut off. You're always welcome back in if you decide that you are going to abide by the
1: standards, but not all behavior is welcome.
0: And we must make common cause with the unfortunate, fearing nothing as much as we fear God, so that in the service of truth, in the service of truth, so there's some truth that exists that we
1: have to contend with, that's the reality. We may not betray the doctrine of the true faith. On the
0: other hand, it is suspicion and unfounded fear that have audacity. Patience is better than haste, and generosity is better than selfishness. So have patience. Don't be hasty to make judgments about other people that you're in community with. Don't be hasty to cut them off or cut yourself off from them. And be generous and be gracious when you disagree. Because as Jesus said,
1: they will know your mind by how well you love each other. So, how well are we doing? Doesn't look great it is more effective
0: and advantageous by far to stay within the common body, joining together as members of one another, being united, than to try and impose a solution by a decree after prejudging the
1: issue. So don't overpower and impose yourself,
0: because this is A desertion of one's community, and this leaves one's moral claim, you you leave your moral claim by disengagement. You either impose yourself or you cut yourself off. You leave all claims of morality because you're just disengaged or forcing other people into disengagement. And he finishes with this very powerful statement. This is how tyrants behave,
1: not siblings. And we are all siblings in Christ. So, do we really act in this tension between gospels and we, sin and, management?
2: And we're going to be tyrannical if we whole, and I've used this word on purpose, wholeheartedly accept one of the gospels of, so, of sin management.
0: If we're, we're in this tension between the Gospels of sin management, and I think the Bible is pointing us somewhere else, Jesus is directing us to a different, more full gospel that encompasses both of these things as consequences, at least in part. And so, one, I want to say, if you can't be in community with people who are in you disagree with, you're doing this whole Christian thing wrong. And two, if you're pointing to one of those Gospels of sin management, as though it's the essential piece and everything else
1: can be left aside, you're doing this whole Christian thing wrong. I don't know what else to tell you. Because the Christian walk is trying to
0: become like Jesus in being who you are,
1: like Jesus. And then from there, you're called into living
0: between these two gospels of sin management, right? Not as though
1: they're the gospel, but in acting them out as a part of who you are, because both of them were a part of who Jesus was and is. That's my
2: rant. I'm going to read this again and then go on your point about where you go to church. Lewis, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to whom you're mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations. These are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work, marry, snub, and exploit Immortal honors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind. And it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between two people who, from the outset, have taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be real and costly with a deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, He is holy in almost the same way. For in him also Christ, the glorifier and the glorified. Glory himself is truly hidden. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I go to church with people that are very different from me. When we sit every week, Keep in mind, for worship, at the beginning of every service, we read the Nicene Creed together, out loud. You know what that creed is? It's a bunch of declarations of what we believe to be the truth, of what we will, in the end, have to deal with. And then at the end of every service, We take the sacraments, bread, and the cup. And in the resuscitation of the creed and the eating of the elements, I am reminded that no matter my disagreements with these people, We are, in action, submitting ourselves to something greater than us. And that. What else is church? What else is church?